Well, I, I hope uh, the legacy would be to other females that you can be successful and, and you can, you know, rise up the ranks in academic institutions. I think that would be my legacy. That's one thing I've kind of made it my mission is trying to make sure that my female faculty are promoted and are given leadership opportunities. Um, so I hope that would be the legacy that I would leave. Hello, I'm Professor Patrick Murray, and I'm delighted to host this third series of the UCD School of Medicine podcast series, MGA Clinical Influencers. No doubt lots of our listeners are familiar with the MGA, the Medical Graduates Association. But for those who aren't, the MGA plays a vital role in keeping you, our School of Medicine graduates, in touch with fellow alumni across Ireland and around the world. As a global and diverse School of Medicine, UCD naturally has been greatly enriched by attracting highly talented clinical academics graduated from other Irish or international medical schools. They are now highly valued members of our UCD community, and you will hear from them too. The MGA is your organization, offering you a lifelong partnership with UCD School of Medicine. During this podcast series, graduates will take us on a trip down memory lane when describing their time at UCD, and on some occasions in other schools of medicine, along with their experiences as junior doctors. They will discuss their clinical and scientific specialty areas, highlights of the challenges that they encountered during their careers, and tell us how they now share their expertise and coach others. On a personal level, they will discuss how they manage a decent work-life balance, and will share books, films, and music for us to enjoy, and holiday locations to think about. Our interviewees have compelling stories to share that will spark your curiosity about life in general and the clinical specialty they've chosen in particular. I'm Pat Murray, Professor of Clinical Pharmacology at University College Dublin and a consultant physician at the Mater Misericordiae University Hospital, also in Dublin, Ireland. I'm a UCD School of Medicine alumnus from 1988. Following an internship at the Mater Hospital, I completed a residency in internal medicine in Minneapolis, Minnesota in the US. I completed fellowship training programs in nephrology, critical care medicine and clinical pharmacology at the University of Chicago Hospitals in Chicago, Illinois, also in the US. And I was a faculty member there until I returned to UCD in the matter as the inaugural professor of clinical pharmacology in the School of Medicine in 2008. 2011, I was appointed associate dean for international affairs at the UCD School of Medicine. I subsequently became dean and head of School of Medicine from December 2012 through June 2018. In today's podcast, I'm delighted to be in conversation with Dr. Ruth O'Regan, who graduated from UCD Medicine in 1988. Following early clinical training in Dublin, she completed her internal medicine residency at the Medical College of Wisconsin in Milwaukee and her Hemonc Fellowship at Northwestern University. She's currently studying for a Master's in Medical Management in Healthcare at the University of Rochester. Dr. Regan is the Chair of Medicine and Charles A. Dewey Professor at the University of Rochester. She additionally serves as Professor of Oncology, Physician-in-Chief of Strong Memorial Hospital, and Associate Director of Education and Mentoring at the Wilmot Cancer Institute at the University of Rochester. Previously, she was Division Chief of Hematology, Medical Oncology and Palliative Care in the Department of Medicine and Deputy Director at the Carbone Cancer Centre at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. She served as Chief Scientific Officer of the Big Ten Cancer Research Consortium, guiding the research and scientific mission of the consortium, and as Vice Chair of the National Comprehensive Cancer Network Board of Directors. She has been director of the Glenn Family Breast Cancer Program at Winship Cancer Institute and vice chair for education and director of hematology oncology fellowship program in the Department of Hemonc at Emory University. She additionally served as chief of Hemonc at the Georgia Cancer Center for Excellence at Grady Memorial Hospital. 
Dr. Regan's specialties areas are breast cancer, resistant breast cancers, early drug development, and research development of new therapies with a specific focus on triple negative breast cancer. Well, Ruth, it's a real pleasure to welcome you to the podcast today. I'm looking forward to having a, a conversation that you'll hopefully clean up well enough to <laughs> cover the fact that we were in a small group together for several years. Yeah, thanks, Pat, for having me. I appreciate it. Let's keep it to something very simple to start off with. Tell, tell us how you decided to study medicine. Uh, honestly, until probably fifth or sixth year in school, I was actually thinking about being an engineer. And then I remember we did some mock interviews at school and I'm just going to say I discovered that engineering was not something that I was very interested in. So I was chatting to my dad, you know, as you remember, he was the dean of uh, UCD for a while. And he was like, well, why don't you put down medicine first? So I'm afraid to say I'm not one of these people that at the age of five said, yeah, I really want to be a doctor. It kind of just came on later on. And then when I got in, I've never regretted it, though. So so it's it's certainly been uh, given a lot of opportunity to have different experiences. So tell us about your memories of the, of the terrace. The things that stick out about the terrace were obviously, you know, the lecturers that we had and the different classes that we had. But I think we spent an inordinate amount of time in the library and none of it was really for studying. I remember you'd go up to the top floor in the library and look down to see who was there. Obviously, occasionally we would go across the street to Hartigan's and uh, have a few, a few drinks. And my father used to always tell a story of, I don't know, I don't know if you were with me that time or not, of, we were all in Hartigan's one Friday night and I went up to him and asked him if he'd buy me a drink. And next thing he looked around, there was about five of my classmates around also looking for drinks. So after that night, he basically said, never again, I'm never going to Hartigan's again. <laughs> so I'm sure he did, but not as much as he did before, I think. The other things that stick out are like, we just such great classmates. Really, we made friends for life. You know, those, those early years, I think, in, in, in ours for Terrace. Um, because we were all together that time before we split and went to the hospital. So I would say my memories of, of the terrace are, are very positive. It was great being in town. You could just walk around everywhere. And um, it was just, there's a lot of camaraderie and a lot of fun. And you, you had a bit of a different experience, I suppose, because your, your dad, before he was dean, having been the professor of physiology, you knew all the physiology department really well, didn't you? I did know the physiology department very well. And I wouldn't say it was a huge advantage to me having him lecturing me. <laughs> Because, you know, if I took stuff down wrong, um, he uh, he would definitely admonish me at home. Because uh, if you remember rightly, I was one of the uh, people that used to write all the notes from the lectures. Um, I'm sure you used them once or twice, I think, probably at some point. Yes, they were, they were legible and complete. I don't know if you remember this, but at some point we put on a play about Earlsford Terrace. I don't know if you remember that or not. It was... It was really focused around the physiology department and it was really hilarious, I have to say. Did, uh, did they agree? The physiology department? Yeah. I don't know if they ever actually saw it or not or how much of it they saw, but it was more just for the medical students. But it was really very funny, I have to say. And of, of all the preclinical teachers in the terrace, did you have a favourite or favourite subject or favourite teacher? I thought Moynihan was one of the best lecturers. I definitely learned a lot from him. I think my dad did an okay job as well, although he used to write a copious amount on the, the board and you'd have to get there early to take everything down. And then I think one of our, all our favourites was Ma Brown because when we had those mini exams or whatever they were called, um, she was always very lenient on us. We were always trying to get in to have her examine us, so she was very nice too. And then I think um, anatomy as well. That, they were great classes and in the anatomy lab and all that stuff that, that was great as well but that's my memory of the the lectures we had in, in Earlsford Terrace. Yeah and I think pretty much routinely everybody we've spoken to has great memories of Earlsford Terrace and uh, 
when you finished up then in, in Earls for Terrace, uh, you were primarily based in the Matter, as I recall. Yes, I went to the Matter. It was fantastic, great experience. And as you know, we were put into smaller groups of which you and I were in the same group. And um, I think we had lots of fun there. We, we learned a lot, I think, particularly as time went on, maybe not in our res year, um, but we certainly had a great time. And, you know, and uh, I mean, it was very different, I think, to the way we, you know, we teach people now. Um, there was a lot of shadowing more than actually, you know, really taking care of patients. I'm not sure how well we were prepared coming out to, for a first day of internship, but we certainly knew how to examine people and take histories. For sure. And uh, there was a lot of practice in certain skills, but not others, I suppose. That's true. You know, certainly we didn't learn much about phlebotomy or any of those type of things that uh, putting in IVs, which were so important when you start your internship. But I think we learned other stuff that at the end of the day was more important. Yeah. I, I can't remember where, where you did your obstetrics, peds, psychiatry. So I was in Hollis Street. I would say that was an amazing experience. And I actually really thought about doing gynecology after that experience. The lecturing was really, really good. And then uh, you know, the rotations that we had um, you know, were, were, I think, very informative. Did Professor Hurley call on you frequently? Yes, Professor Hurley was a legend, of course. And uh, he would wander around the halls of Hollis Street, making sure that we were in talking to patients. So I remember myself and Eva O'Sullivan actually hiding in one of the sluice rooms so he wouldn't see us. <laughs> which was, was hilarious. But and he probably knew. I'm sure he knew well that we were in there. I mean, we were on the postpartum ward and I just felt this poor woman has just had a baby. The last thing she wants is a medical student coming in. And then, of course, there was the, the night, the week of nights that we spent waiting for somebody to deliver. And every night... I would literally leave and the baby would be born like an hour later. <laughs> so eventually I think I got to del- deliver a baby the very last day I was up there. So it worked out in the end. Worked out in the end. And then I did pediatrics in Crumlin. I would say pediatrics wasn't my favourite thing, um, but it was interesting nonetheless. What do you remember at the graduation day? It was so much fun. And the weather was just amazing, which the sun was like, it was just so sunny that day. Um, so I remember putting on the gowns, all that stuff was so great. And in particular, Ray Powers' father taking all these photographs. I don't know if we ever saw them at the end of the day, but I remember him taking lots and lots of photographs. And then we were, I think we went to Hartigan's for a little bit afterwards. And then I think we were actually around in my parents' house at some point. I think you were there as well. So then we had the graduation ball, which was a lot of fun as well. And, and then I think after that, we all went to Greece. So it was a good time. That all sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, vaguely familiar. So yeah, no, it was it was it was it was a great few days, and we were very lucky with the weather. I remember that. Then you, you interned in the matter, of course. Yeah, so I was an intern. I did two months of oncology with Des Carney, and then four months of pulmonary with uh, Dr. Keelan and Kyo, which is an interesting way to do things, and I'm sure that really influenced what I ended up doing because I, I think what you do in your intern year does kind of stick with you. And um, then obviously I did, I, I did three months of orthopedics and three months of general surgery. That was your, the end of surgery for you? Yes. Uh, being in uh, the operating room when there was a colon resection going on was definitely enough for me. Right. You wanted to be at the, the other end of the yeah, procedure? Yeah. Well, I think actually in some ways what really was the thing for me was when I went into the SHO years and um, I ended up doing another six months of oncology along with you know, uh, 12 months in the country doing medicine and then um, um, casualty. So I think that's really what solidified my interest in oncology at, at that point, even though I had done it as an intern and as a student. And then at some time during that period, you decided to firm up the oncology interest and 
when did you start looking at positions in the, in the US? That was a good bit longer because I actually did a, a, a reg job in the Meads, in internal medicine. And then I did two years of uh, oncology and hematology at the Mater before I went to, to the US. So I think probably the first year that I was a reg with uh, Des Carney and, and Brian Oshridge, that's when I started thinking about going to the US. But I also had um, got one of the um, lottery visas the green cards, I mean. So that was one of the reasons that I started looking. The primary reason I went over was really to do some research because we hadn't really had much exposed to research at all. When you started then, was it a culture shock to get into a different system, even though you'd already been a registrar? Oh, so much so. So I, the first year I was in the US, I actually was in at the Medical College of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. And my brother, Anto, was the chief resident there. And I'm sure you found the same. It was completely different. I mean, we changed every month what we were doing versus I've been doing, you know, long stints of one thing before I went over there. So, uh, you know, you're doing a month of GI, a month of cardiology, et cetera, on the wards and all that kind of thing. So it, that was very different. The other thing that was really different was when we were in Ireland, you know, I, you know, we made a lot of the serious decisions about for patients, particularly when it came to end of life. And when I got there, you know, it was a completely different system where, you know, the patients really controlled that. And, and I remember having one patient who um, wasn't able to make decisions for for the, themselves and they had a terminal cancer. And I was like, OK, well, I, I guess, you know, you wouldn't end up probably resuscitating this person or putting them in the ICU. But of course, that's just not the way it was over there. You had to get ethics to see her and um, so, yeah, so, so, so there was, it was a big culture shock. And the, one of the things I always thought about was, as I rotated through all these different specialties, would I have done something different if I'd been in the States from the get-go? Because, you know, some of them were, were interesting. I'd, ne- I'd never been exposed to them during my training in Ireland, but, but probably not, because I think my heart was always with oncology anyway. Then you had to make a decision about uh, which way to go. You, you obviously were still going into oncology, but... Um I guess you, you went to fellowship after that, right? I went over to the States primarily to, to do a fellowship and I got into Northwestern. But at the time, I was very interested in doing lymphoma when I, when I came over to the States first. Um, but um, after the first clinical year fellowship, um, I, I ended up in a breast cancer lab. And also I was with uh, somebody in clinic who did breast cancer. So I started spending a lot of time doing breast cancer. At the end of the fellowship, when I finished another year of residency, I did lymphoma and breast for one year, but then I discovered I just couldn't do both of them. It was just it was just too complicated. So that's why I ended up doing breast cancer. Mm. Yeah, it was interesting at Northwestern because um, they didn't wear white coats there. The uh, the consultants and the fellows wore grey coats, and the uh, residents wore blue coats. And even though it was fairly common on the East Coast, nobody at, at Northwestern had ever gone from a grey coat being a fellow to a resident wearing a blue coat. So people were stopping at the elevator saying, what happened to you? <laughs> Why are you devoted to down, yeah. Yeah. But they were very good to me because they let me actually stay in the lab for about half of that whole year as a, as a resident at Northwestern. Then you, then you stayed on on staff, right? I stayed at Northwestern for three years um, as an instructor. Why don't you tell us how you decided to move yeah. when, you, when you made your moves? At Northwestern, I was approached by somebody from Emory University in Atlanta about coming down to basically lead their breast cancer program. So initially I was like going, well, where is Emory? I've never even heard of it. <laughs> so <laughs> and then I discovered it was in Atlanta. And this, this guy was pretty persuasive. 
Um, so, you know, I went down a couple of times. You've never very, seen Gone with the Wind, no? I had seen Gone with the Wind, but that, I don't remember Emery being mentioned in that. <laughs> so, so and as you know, Pat, because we were in Chicago together, I was very loath to leave Chicago, but it seemed like a really good opportunity. So I actually was down there for over 10 years. So I, I spent probably half my time at, at Emory and then half of it at Grady Memorial Hospital, which is one of the biggest public hospitals in, in the U.S., completely underserved patient population. So that was really a great experience. And um, I ended up being um, the chief of hematology oncology there um, for several years before I left Atlanta. And a big, big breast cancer program there. Big breast, yeah. Big breast, yeah. So we actually expanded a lot when, when I was there. And then I also, um, as I think you did as well, I was the fellowship director for Hemonc, hematology oncology when I was there. So... So I wore quite a few hats down there. So it was, overall, it was it was actually a really good experience, and um, I really enjoyed my time there. And thankfully, I found out where Emory University was eventually. So, but you, you remained a, a cheesehead. I did because you better explain what a cheesehead is. Yes. So a cheesehead, in case nobody anybody doesn't know what it is, is a Green Bay Packer fan. And by the way, their puncher is now Irish, as I'm sure you probably saw. Wisconsin, as you know, does not have very good weather in the winter. So the only thing anybody does there is watch the Packers, and that's all they talk about on Monday. So I'd never actually watched American football before. And I started watching it, and I was like going, you know, this is kind of a good game. And then it was when Brett Favre was their quarterback, and they were doing better and better. So... So it kind of made sense to start actually following the Packers. And then obviously I went down to Chicago after that and, you know, they were beating up on the Bears. So so that kind of stuck with me the whole way through. And then going back to Wisconsin, I guess, uh, you reconnected. But you ne- you'd never given it up, really, had you? No, I'd never given it up, as you well know. So, um, yes, yeah, so I ended up going back up to Wisconsin because they were so actually to Madison, not Milwaukee, because the university there had reached out to me about being their division chief for Hemonk. And I always had a liking for Wisconsin's. So I was pretty excited to be offered that job. So I went back up there for um, about six, seven years or so. And I did I did get to go to people actually, uh, who had, there's a couple of my uh, colleagues who had season tickets and one of them bribed me and said he'd bring me to Lambeau if I actually took the job. So <laughs> I did that. Well, that's just good recruitment, isn't it? It really was, yeah. Uh, and then how did how the move to New York come about? I wasn't really looking for uh, to, to leave Wisconsin, but this was the chair of medicine job, so I thought I should look at it. And, you know, I'd looked at a few cancer center director jobs as well, and really, that wasn't really, I didn't really have the CV for that. So I never really thought about chair of medicine because it's not that usual for oncologists to end up as chairs of medicine, I think, because we get so subspecialized. We don't really have as great a grasp of internal medicine as some of the other subspecialties. But I started looking at the job and I interviewed there a couple of times during the winter. Saw none of the city at all because it was dark the entire time. This is Rochester. This is Rochester, yeah, University of Rochester. Um, and then COVID happened, so everything got put on hold. In the summer of the first COVID summer, they reached back out to me and you know started asking me if I was interested in the job. And you know I thought about it and I thought, well, maybe that's the next right move for me. And, and that's essentially why I went. And I think it actually was because... Even though I'm not an expert in internal medicine, I feel like it's a, your, your job really is to kind of lead the vision of the department. And, um, and I think that's something that I've kind of enjoyed doing. Are you, are you able to 
keep as interested in breast cancer research or clinical practice as you were? So I still see I still see patients once a week. I had I've had labs prior to going to Rochester. I don't anymore. I just don't have time for it. But yeah. um, but I I do, I do have I'm still doing clinical research. I still um, I'm needing a couple of, of clinical trials. So I would say less than before. I mean this job is mainly administration. I have to say I do you know go to morning report every week. I was going to say do you do you do you do it? <laughs> I do, I do. So I do go every week, um, but I've tell the residents up front that you know they're I'm learning more from them than they are from me. But uh, it's it's actually a great way to know to get to know the residents. That I really like, and then I I meet with the medical students as well when they're on their clerkship, just to kind of chit chat with them about their careers and stuff like that. So. so it sounds like that's worked out really well. Yeah, it's been good so far. Yeah. And congratulations! Yeah. Uh, that's uh, been a, been a great success. Mm, thank you. We see it. We didn't see any of this coming uh, the, all those years ago. No, we certainly didn't. We didn't. Although I, you know, when I when I went to the states, I kind of, I felt I probably would stay there. But I, you know, I just didn't know. I I didn't know my career was going to go the way it was at all. And I certainly never thought I'd end up being a chair of medicine. Well, it's not over yet. <laughs> it's not over. Yet. <laughs> you know, who knows what's next? Can Can I bring you back to uh, along the way? Would you Would you pick anyone out as your as as your main role model or role models? You know, initially it was probably my dad because you know uh, he was. You know, uh, physician scientist. So I think it's different because he he didn't take care of patients, but he you know he did a lot of research. So I think he probably got me interested in the research part of it. Um, but but I think from just thinking about role models that I had here, uh, probably Des Carney because I did work for him for quite a, a long time, and you know he was very well known, uh, particularly for small cell lung cancer. And um, you know I, I think he really. Working with him really made me really enjoy doing oncology and taking care of patients with cancer. So I think he was a, a strong role model. And then you know the U.S. You know, the guy whose lab I was in, he gave gave me a lot of opportunities. And and then also my fellowship director director at Northwestern is a breast cancer oncologist, so I'm still very friendly with. You know, he's been somebody that I've worked very closely with as well. But I think they're probably the main role models that I have. And would you, would you say it's it's fair to say that as you as you came up there weren't a lot of female role models around yeah I, I mean I've certainly worked with a lot of females and I you know I have a very close uh, colleague down in Atlanta who you know I've, I've used her references and we worked at Grady together and so I think she she would definitely be a role model of mine um but it, I think it's completely different now I mean there's so many women in leadership roles now it's it's just so different than it was I think when when we went out to the states first yeah no it's I think everywhere it's uh, changed quite a lot uh, more another general question: uh, How do you manage work-life balance? I actually think I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> so, so the one thing I would say is that because of the pandemic, you know, it's given us the ability to actually work from home sometimes. So I do do that. My clinic is off-site; it's not where my office is on a Tuesday morning. So I almost always work from home on Tuesday afternoon, and some Fridays as well. And I actually find that that works really well. Um, it gives you some time to do appointments and stuff that that you probably can't do the other days of the week we have too many meetings as we all know I, I i try to work on making sure that the meetings are not the whole length of what what they're what they're stated for and i prefer to do you know add meetings on early in the morning rather than in you know in the evening so you can actually get home at a, a reasonable hour um uh so i i I, the, I, the, I think one thing that i have given up as time has gone on, as there was a lot of traveling previously in my career, yeah. you know, going around giving talks. And it's interesting. I thought I really missed that. But the pandemic kind of taught us that you didn't really need to do that as much. And 
Um, I do a lot less of that now than I used to. And I think that's given me more time to actually do stuff outside of work. So I started playing tennis during the, the pandemic. And, um, you know, when I got to Rochester, there was no way Ray was going to play with me. So I ended up joining a tennis club there. And that's been fantastic because I've met so many people that have nothing to do with work. Because I think one of the problems for us is that you tend to always end up going out with people that you work with. So it's actually nice to have a group of people I know that aren't related at all to the university. So so that's been fun. I mean, I only play at the weekends, but it's still something to look forward to during the week. Uh, other than watching sports and playing a bit of tennis, what what else do you like to do for relaxation? Well, I mean, I like I like traveling for fun, particularly if it involves like, like just driving. So, you know, we're not, we're very close to the Finger Lakes, which are beautiful lakes in New York, upstate New York. So we go over there sometimes. Um, traveling for fun is not the same as traveling for work. So I, I do like traveling. Um, and, um, you know, eating out, good restaurants and things. So, yeah. Do you have a bucket list? I've been in every state before the age of 50. I made it my mission. Um, the last time I went to was West Virginia, so I've done that. So now I need to find somewhere else to go. I, I'm interested in South Amer- America, and I, one thing I would really like to do is actually climb Machu Picchu. Um, so I'd like to do that. We were also talking at the weekend at the reunion about maybe doing something with the Camino. So things like that that are more active where you can have fun, but also do something active, I think, would be something I would really like to do. So... Um, but I think travel to countries I haven't been to would be definitely something on my bucket list. All right. Well, that sounds like you have a, a couple of couple of plans there now. Do you do you think in terms of having a legacy? Well, I I hope uh, the legacy would be to other other females that you can be successful and and you can you know rise up the ranks in academic institutions. I think that would be my legacy. That's one thing I've kind of made it my mission is trying to make sure that my female faculty are promoted and are given leadership opportunities. Um, so I hope that will be the legacy that I would leave. What have you been able to do in terms of, it, at this in this day and age, it's really the, the top level, the professorial level, that's still a bit uh, top-heavy with males, isn't it? No, it is, and uh, particularly tenured professors. So um, I was fortunate because I, I got, got tenure when I went to Wisconsin. Since I got to Rochester, which has been just, over, just coming up in three years, we did promote five of our female faculty to professor with tenure. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm just looking out for others that we can do that for. There's still a lot more male uh, tenure professors, but I think we can change that over time. And I would say half, coming up on half my leadership team is female now. Yeah, that certainly sounds like you've made, made strides there. Yeah, I mean, and you know, obviously giving opportunities to faculty and, and trainees from minority backgrounds. But that's obviously trickier because depending on what, where you live, I mean, for example, in Madison, it's very low percentage of minority population, so it's 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 hard to attract minority faculty in, into an environment like that. Whereas Rochester's a little a little bit easier, but that's certainly something that I, I would be very focused on. It's, even though obviously there's some issues with that in the U.S. right now, but I do think it's very important. It's a general question, and uh, if you could look back and advise your your 18 year old self, what would you advise? I think I probably would have done what you did and go out to the States earlier. I, I enjoyed the time I was here for sure, but I, I'm not sure. I think I could have left a few years earlier than I did because what happened then is that because I had to repeat all my training over there, then you're a little bit older than some, a little bit older than some of the other people there. So I think that would be one thing. Um, apart from that, there isn't much I think I, I, I would change. You know, I think I've met some fantastic people, you know, along the way in my career and um, I certainly wouldn't change anything, anything of that. 
Um, I mean, each of the experiences where each of the places I've lived, I've had different experiences. So I've kind of enjoyed that, I have to say. But I think that would be the one thing I would say. I certainly don't regret what I did. I mean, I'm glad I did medicine and, and, and I'm glad I ended up being a breast cancer oncologist. And I'm glad I and now ended up in administration, even though I wasn't sure that I would do that. Um, I think the other thing, I, in terms of research, I guess I, w- I would have liked to have been more successful in kind of lab research, but I just that was not really something that I think was incredibly successful at. But I did get to do a lot of clinical research, and I still do it, so I enjoy that. So I think that's really the, 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 what I would say if I had to look back and change anything. So it sounds like you, you, you might have done something similar, uh, maybe just a little, started a little bit earlier. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right, well, it's been, uh, it's been great to talk to you. Uh, I didn't get too many shocks. <laughs> uh, but uh, obviously I knew how successful you've been but it's great for the alumni to, to hear uh, all that you've done and we look forward to the rest of your career and uh, keeping in touch so it's great to talk to you Ruth Thank you Pat, I really appreciate you having me Thank you Thank you